Hello, and welcome back to Sustain. I'm Sydney Murray, and this is a podcast about environmental, social, and economic justice. So hopefully you got to tune in to the first episode of the season to learn that I am a new host of the podcast, and I am super excited about it. I'm excited to chat with some really interesting people of the campus community who are doing really interesting and important work. To introduce one of those people, I'm sitting down with Nick Backman, who is a PhD candidate here at the U in the History Department. You know, environmental history is kind of a really interesting methodological toolkit to look at, you know, the ways that humans and non-human actors kind of interact. Nick's particular research interests are in environmental history, and he's here today to talk about a collaborative project he's working on with the American West Center, various indigenous tribal governments, and the National Park Service, looking at existing trail signage along the Overland Trail paths. My interests, kind of broadly speaking, center on the environmental history and the social history of the 19th century American West. And I'm particularly interested with um, westward expansion during the during the mid 19th century, um, and and the transformations that that occurred as a, as a result of that. U.S. westward expansion. You know, you see hundreds of thousands of folks moving across um, the United States during that time, and this plays into kind of concepts of of American identity beyond the frontier line. Mm. Yeah, this history of the western expansion. It's very complex, right? Like, who's telling that history and what history is being told? Absolutely. And one thing that we see, you know, when you study the history of the American West, you see what are called kind of the booster histories and the histories that really um, exemplify um, American exceptionalism in many ways, where, you know, this was a a very individual process that made Americans something different. You know, they were no longer constricted to being um, in close proximity to, you know, the economic centers of the East. Right. It was a place for, um, for rebirth and regeneration. And it's a really big part of kind of, um, or the mythos of, of what it means to be an American in many ways. And we see that in, in um, movies and television shows, even video games today. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, you know, th- this idea of birth or, or rebirth, uh, I'm sure that was the idea or, or the feel for Euro-American Western expansion. Um, but obviously that's, you know, a lived account of that period or that experience that's in direct contrast to a large population, the indigenous population that already inhabited this land and what their experience of, you know, the Western expansion was, which was, you know, very much opposite of birth or rebirth. It was the lived experience of watching their cultures and their, their ways of knowing, um, of interacting and being in the world become degraded and still to this day. There are a lot of um, actors involved in this story, right? And that's kind of what you're alluding to here. And what, you know, what I find in my research with a lot of the secondary source materials um, and even some of the primary source materials, what we're seeing is, you know... It's highly racialized. It's highly gendered. You know this 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 kind of American exceptionalism, um, and you know if you look a little bit closer, if you look at what historians are kind of writing about now and focusing on, and have been for for, for several decades now, um, it's 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 kind of it's zooming out and looking you know at a much larger picture than this single story of American exceptionalism beyond the frontier line. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So. 
you are partnering with the American West Center for this project that we're going to be talking about today. I, I'm curious, did you have affiliation with them prior to this project? So I did my master's in history at the University of Utah, um, and then I I joined the American West Center as a research associate when I started my PhD at the beginning of this year. I see. Okay. Um, okay. So. Yeah, moving on to your project, you're collaborating with the American West Center. Um, for those of us who are not as familiar with this center, could you tell us a little bit about the work you all do? So the American West Center is a it, it's a research center here at the University of Utah that looks you know it looks at the American West in terms of region as a category of analysis. So it looks at it, it all of kind of the particular things going on in the West. So a lot of the projects here focus on um, indigenous place names, indigenous history, okay. water in the West. So yeah, a, a, lo a lot of regional focused work. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, okay, yeah, tell me a little bit about this project, this trail project that you're working on with them and others. <laughs> so right now I'm working, um, it's a collaborative project with the National Park Service uh, the American West Center and several other partners that we'll, I'll kind of talk about a little bit later. Um, but my primary role on this project is to research the history of the Overland Trails in Utah and assess the in existing interpretive signage that kind of is public-facing signage that you see by the side of highways or at parks or anywhere else specific to the California Mormon Pioneer and Pony Express trails in Utah. Okay, so it's not just like walking and biking trails. You said this is these are along the highways as well. What are the Overland trails? So, so the Overland trails are, are is the trail system where mostly Euro-American immigrants traveled westward, kind of oh, beyond the frontier okay. line, right? So. This is where you get a lot of the story, you know, the, the the history of the gold rush and the Mormons that came out here. So in the, in the mid, kind of in the mid 19th century, right? So we're looking roughly between 1840 and the end of the 1860s. And you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people traveling on these trail systems. Is that when, I guess, the, the era of Western expansion kind of started? Yes. Yeah, well, it, I mean... It, it, this gets into a larger question of what is the West? You know, if we're talking about the Trans-Appalachian West from kind of the East Coast, yeah. right? That, that's a much <laughs> earlier thing. But, the, you know, as time kind of marches on, the further West we go. Okay. And where are the Overland Trails located geographically in Utah? So it's kind of a, that's kind of a tricky question. And a lot of people are, um, a, a lot of historians kind of from previous generations were obsessed with figuring out exactly where these routes were and the spurs and the cutoffs at this specific moment in time. And, you know, it, it calls some interesting questions into play as well. You know, um, these places were grazed heavily by, you know, the beasts of burden, if you will, uh, you know, along these routes. Um, it also displaced many indigenous peoples. Um, water became really toxic in a lot of these places. Lots of folks died from from diseases from you know from from dirty water. So the, the trails moved around a bit, but generally speaking, you know we, we kind of see them. If you've ever driven kind of along I eighty, you know through Nebraska, mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of the that's kind of the, the the main artery, if you will, that kind of stemmed out of um, Illinois okay. and in that area. And then, you know, they get to Utah, and this isn't just one trail, right? right. You're talking about the California Trail, you know, which was mostly Gold Rush stuff, and that was all up in kind of Northern California and then down into Central California. The Pony Express Trail cut through kind of the Great Basin 
um, and ended up in San Francisco. And of course, the Mormon Pioneer Trail went from Illinois to Salt Lake City. And these are all encompassed in the Overland Trail system? It is. So it's a messy thing. It's kind of a strange kind of way to categorize something. Yeah. But it's, it, it's a big, complex picture, okay. right? Um, and there's a lot of stuff. And one of the interesting things about this project is to kind of flesh out um, the U Utah's role in the Overland Trails. Okay. And of course, you know, Utah was a territory. It was not yeah. a state the way that we right. think of it today. But um, thinking about it as a region, right? Thinking about what the trails were like in this region um, and kind of being more inclusive in that story rather than this kind of um, American exceptionalist myth. Okay. And, and being in Utah, I imagine that the, the trails that are here at least are um, the signage on them is dominated by primarily the Mormon pioneer narrative. It is. It is. It's it's a huge part of identity yeah. here. I mean, I think I think. Yeah. Um, and but if you zoom out and you look kind of even broader than the Mormon trail, I mean, a lot of Euro-American identity is embedded in 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 these trails and kind of. Um, remembering specific aspects of that journey as being like an individual, rugged, masculine pursuit westward, right? So like the individual's moral journey, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, this gets back to something that, you know, folks who do Western history talk about a lot, and it's Frederick Jackson Turner's frontier thesis, you know, when he said... Um, you know, there's no more, quote unquote, free land, right? Everything has been settled. So, you know, there's no, the, where are you going to forge an identity as a nation now? And it calls in all these interesting questions and it leads to historians kind of approaching um, the American West in really interesting ways. You know, you're starting to see a lot of work with looking at gender roles kind of in that model. Um, and all sorts of, of interesting stuff happening in indigenous history as well. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, let's let's bring it back to this project. Tell, tell us a little bit more about what you all are doing. Okay, so the name of the project is the National Trails Tribal Engagement Project, and it's a collaborative project with uh, the National Park Service, the American West Center, the Utah Division of Indian Affairs, Utah Division of State History, the Utah State Historic Preservation Office and the Intermountain Range of the USDA Forest Service. And that's kind of, um, so, so those are the non-tribal potential partners. Mm -hmm. um, kind of this project is built around um, the potential tribal partners, which are, we're, we're, we're currently speaking with um, um, seven tribal governments right now, five of which whom are in Utah and two who are out of the state, one in Wyoming and one in Idaho, okay. which kind of tells a story about displacement, right? And, 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 and kind of the histories of these trails themselves. Right, in the sense that, you know, it's not a confined geographical location that you're working with. These are pretty dispersed uh, trails, right? Absolutely. I mean, these trails, we're, we're talking about roughly, you know, a 25, 30-ish year span. And this um, affected a large group of folks. So the goal of the project is to increase and enhance knowledge of how Native American peoples experience and experienced and perceive and perceived the California Pony Express and Mormon Pioneer Trails in Utah. And the long-term goal is to have this project serve as a pilot project 
that will ultimately enhance interpretation along all National Historic Trails through collaboration and research. Okay. And so why the Overland Trails? Was that a choice you all made? So the National Trails Office at the National Park Service chose the three trails as a pilot project, right? Um, I don't know why. We call them the Northern Trails, right? So but I'm not sure why they chose those three. But we hope that this will be a pilot project going Mm -hmm. forward that will ultimately, you know, increase and enhance interpretation. At the end of the day, this is all about interpretation, right? You know, being a researcher, being a historian, we we sit around and read books, we look at primary source materials, we look at correspondence, we look at all of these things but what, do, what does the sign say, yeah. right? What does it look like? And the issue here, kind of what this, this project is, um, is addressing, is if you look at a lot of the existing signage, signage specific to the trails, it kind of casts Native peoples in, in, in very problematic ways. Um, it kind of, it, 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 it's very generalizing. Um, you'll see the Indians, quote unquote, you know, Indian attacks were the big story. And, I remember this language in the textbooks right, from my high school. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, clearly there is a much larger story to tell than right, just that. Right. Like how we talked about in the beginning with this kind of very specific um, individualist kind of um, national identity narrative. Mm-hmm. And I- it really is based in that dominative language that us versus them conquer domesticate that sort of language that energy and it translates in describing those encounters between the indigenous people and the euro-american colonizers so i think the work that you're doing is super important i'm just recalling you know the textbooks that i read as a child in school and again that language that dominative language and how it's portrayed um, and kind of from an early age instills this ideology of us versus them. It's, it's, it's sad, really. Uh, and I think there's a lot more initiative in the education system to address that and, you know, to, to try and do better in depicting accurate history. Um, it's sad that it's taken this long, but the work that you're doing and others are doing in this realm is super important. It's Language and interpretation has so much power, so much weight, you know, in how we see and interact with the world and other people and beings. So uh, really, I I think this work is truly quite important. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's what the National Park Service, National Trails Office really wants to do here is is to, to enhance the signage specific to these these histories, right? And and kind of increase knowledge, especially um, about indigenous history mm-hmm. in relation to the trails, mm-hmm. where it's not just glossed over. It's not just this kind of flattened, generic, and highly offensive kind yeah. of representation. Yeah. So I guess this is kind of um, where the importance, I guess, of partnering with these indigenous tribes. Can Have you all started that process? Where are you all in the this project we have so right now in this so i kind of have two jobs for this project and my my main job is to do the research right to look at the historiography to look at primary source documents to kind of know what's going on kind of already being said yeah what's already being said what are the trends and trajectories How, how has that changed the way that people are talking about the trails 
Um, but the other part of the project is talking with potential tribal partners. So, so we're going out and we're meeting with folks with historic and preservation and cultural offices of some of the federally recognized tribes that we're, that we're working with here and, and, and putting, putting together an, an interdisciplinary team, okay. right? So we want that, um, or I should say, the, 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 the National Park Service Trails Office wants that to really drive this project. Yeah. You know, I want to make it clear that the American West Center is not speaking on behalf of any of the tribal governments uh, mentioned in this project. Um, and rather, my specific job is to look at the historiography and the existing interpretation that's out there, um, specific to the three trails that we're talking about. So do you know some of the, the tribes that you'll be working with yet? Have you all started outreach in that regard? Yeah, so so the so right now, you know, the the potential tri- tribal partners for this for this project are the Confederated Tribes of the Goshute, the Eastern Shoshone, the Northwestern Band of the Shoshone Nation, the Paiute Tribe of Utah, the Shoshone Bannock Tribes, the Skull Valley Band of Goshutes, and the Ute Tribe of Utah. Okay. So it's a, it's it's a long process and you know, we're we're emailing back and forth, talking to folks, and just trying to create space for conversations. Mm-hmm. Good, good. That's awesome. Um, and have you already started that process? How's that, how's that been for you so far? We have. So we, we've had the opportunity to go to some tribal council meetings um, here in Utah, and um, a lot of folks from, from kind of the, the preservation history, cultural departments of the tribes are really interested in being a part of this. So this, I want to linger on this for a second, this relationship building component of the research. Um, In the environmental humanities, which is what I study, a lot of what we look at in research is how to build and sustain these meaningful and reciprocal relationships um, based on trust and mutuality rather than more extractive purposes. And I want to touch on this because it sounds to me like this is exactly what this project is wanting to accomplish. Uh, creating that baseline relationship that's formed um, through open communication, trust, and respect. Absolutely. That's absolutely what is driving this project is, is, is looking at, you know, um, creating a space for collaboration yeah. and kind of facilitating meaningful conversations um, that, will, that will increase and enhance knowledge about um, indigenous history and the Overland Trails. Right. Awesome. So that kind of, this kind of leads perfectly into one of my last questions, I guess. So here with Sustain Podcast, we seek to um, expand the idea of sustainability beyond just environmental and ecological factors, which in the past has been kind of the central focus, obviously for very important reasons. But, um, you know, this is a world where humans are very much a part of the, the natural world. And so what we're trying to do is to consider sustainability in the social, cultural, um, economic systems of the world that very much have, you know, are interrelated with the environment. Um, so I wanted to speak with you because I see a clear connection between, you know, the work that y'all are doing with this idea of sustainability in terms of preserving and um, acknowledging accurate indigenous history. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you wanted to talk a little bit more about that, that would be great. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a really good point, Sydney, and kind kind of fleshing out the humanities aspects of sustainability, um, kind of beyond strictly scientific discourse, right? I think that there, you know, the the humanities have a role in sustainability. Yeah. 
Um, and, and, you know, and I'm biased here because I, I do environmental history, but I think environmental history is a really good kind of methodological framework to bridge the gap, yeah. right, between kind of some of the harder sciences and, and, and the humanities aspects right. of sustainability. And, you know, kind of even going beyond like environmental history as methodology, you're talking about, you know, braiding together social history, economic history, political history, environmental history, you know, though the methods of environmental history are a really interesting way to do that, right? Absolutely. So, so I know you're getting your PhD in history, but what was your, your appeal towards environmental history um, specifically? I think some of the questions that kind of the big people in the field um, were asking just intrigued me a lot, right? Um, about human relationships with the landscapes that they inhabit, mm -hmm. and specifically in the American West, right? Um, Are you from here? I'm not. I, I, I am from a little tiny town in southeastern Indiana, and I moved to Utah about a decade ago. What brought you here? That's a really good question. I think about this all the time. <laughs> Um, I really wanted to be in the West. Yeah, uh, you know, non-traditional student. I didn't start my undergrad until I was in my mid-20s. Did my undergrad in history and then my master's in history here at the U. Okay. And so was this a trajectory path in terms of your academics? Was this something that you knew, you know, history is something that you knew you wanted to do? Um, did you kind of stumble into environmental history or how did that play out? I knew I was interested in history. Um, originally, I was interested in African history, um, which there are some really interesting, so Sub-Saharan Africa, specifically Southwest Africa, so Namibia and places like that. And there are some, there are some really interesting overlaps, if you will, between labor and kind of um, labor regimes and colonialism and, and stuff like that. And it got me thinking about the, about the U.S. West. Um, and I fell in love with kind of... Uh, looking at the west through 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 kind of an environmental lens and it's it's fascinating and i love it and in looking at the american west through an environmental lens i guess that's you're having to look at the people not just the land right right well and that's kind of what environmental history is right it's it's how it's 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 how people fit into that 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 broader framework okay. right um and you know Environmental history is a broad field, so you, you have a lot of folks looking at kind of big climate events and how that impacted people perhaps, right? Um, so some other aspects that you see in environmental history, um, disease is a huge, huge kind of corner of, of environmental history, especially now like post-COVID, right? Oh, yeah. um, so there are, you know, environmental history is kind of a really interesting methodological toolkit to look at, you know, the ways that humans and non-human actors interact and uh, inevitably yeah how do you see this project contributing to this sustainable society or future society that we're, we're striving for well i think inclusive interpretation kind of beyond these these very siloed nationalist kind of identities um this, that, that, that's a crucial aspect of taking and, you know, interpreting the past and applying it to the present and into the future, mm -hmm. right? So I think that this project is, um, does a good job of that, right? It, it kind of bridges the gap yeah. by looking at interpretation and, and, and the power of interpretation. Absolutely. 
Nick's collaborative work with the American West Center, the National Park Service, and various indigenous tribal governments to address the signage along the Overland Trail Paths is working to demonstrate just how important language and interpretation is in understanding and learning from the past, especially when it comes to creating this socially, culturally, and politically just society that we're striving towards. I personally cannot wait to see what impacts the pilot project has on future trail signage redesign initiatives to more accurately depict the history of indigenous peoples and their initial interactions with Euro-American settlers. So that's our episode, folks. Special thanks to Nick Backman, PhD candidate in the U's History Department and Research Associate with the American West Center. You're listening to Sustain, a podcast by the University of Utah's Sustainability Office. For monthly episodes, subscribe to Sustain on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To learn more about our work, visit sustainability.utah.edu or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Sustainable U of U. Interviews and editing of this podcast episode were done by me, your host, Sydney Murray. The music in this podcast is provided by Envato.com.